Well, last week, if you'll remember, we started uh, what most churches would call capital campaign. We've started breaking ground on a new facility, a new campus over by Gamble Elementary School. It's well underway. Uh, we waited many uh, several years to try to do it without debt, and it seemed like the Lord was not leading us that direction. So um, we had to borrow money, and that leaves us with a, a conundrum that we don't want to be in debt. And so we need the Lord to speak to us on how to, to uh, be out of debt. So last week I announced that the Lord had laid on my heart as much as I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and, and I'm sorry if I offend anybody, but I grew up around uh, the distaste of some of the TV evangelism that was very much about money. And so I've always been very careful around that subject. And, but you know, money's talked about a lot in the Scripture. And God gave a specific amount to me in the beginning that we need to raise $100,000. But what's changed is, the Lord challenged me that said if uh, that we'll raise a hundred thousand that He will miraculously match that in some way, form, or fashion, uh, and then that we will pay off that debt in five years from when we enter that building. So, uh, in our first Sunday of announcing, it was Memorial Day weekend. We had a very low crowd because everybody was traveling, and we already have a quarter of that hundred thousand in commitments. So praise God for that. So. <clears throat> With as many people were missing and the small crowd and to already have a quarter of the goal uh, in funds uh, pledged, it's incredible. So over uh, $25,000 pledged so far. So we're believing for the Lord that uh, for uh, that. And uh, Jen and I were leading the way, and, and I'll give you a little more information about where God's leading us in our giving. But um, we were the first 2,500 2, committed, and so we were down to 39. And I haven't really looked at how many committed to the to the uh, 40 homes at $2,500 in the next 12 months. But I know that we're a quarter of the way there and uh, God's going to take us all the way. So last week in the message, I confessed to you that I had about five different sermons from several different ministers that formed that sermon last week. And each one of the five points that were made came from a different sermon. And so what I feel like the Lord's leading is that we're, that we're going to have a series built out of that. And so each Sunday, including today, We'll take point by point, and we will um, explore that one point. So I will give those of you that weren't here, you will get a recap of last week, a short one. But first, I want to point you to Psalms chapter 39, verses 4 and 5. Psalms chapter 39, verses 4 and 5. This is really the entirety of our focus, although I will have other scripture references for us. Psalms 39, 4 and 5 says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. How fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you at best. Each of us is but a breath. King David, as he makes this statement, is really in a, in a prayer to the Lord to remind him how brief his time on earth will be. And last week, as we launched officially our capital campaign, the very uh, first uh, part of the, the message, the, the title of the message was the path to his perfected purpose. In other words, God has a perfect purpose for everything. Every person, every church, everything he does has a perfected purpose, and there's a path to that. And we, being different than any of his other creations, have the ability in our free will to miss that path. So we looked at components of that path, and the first thing was the plan. The plan. And that's where we will form the entirety of our message out of today. But first, as a recap, remember the plan. 
that God never starts something that he doesn't have the end figured out. He never starts something that he doesn't have the end in mind. Remember we talked about in Genesis, the creation account, even light, the light that we see here, God gave darkness to give an end to the light. And God gave, you know, we even see through Scripture, there's a new heaven and new earth, and it started with the Garden of Eden. He ends with a new creation of this earth. And so, so we see this, and I jokingly, which it doesn't get much laughs, so apparently everybody's a, a little tense, but I said, you know, even man he gave woman, which that's the end of man. And I know Danny will amen me. No. I love my wife. She's not my end. She is, she is the better part of me, but... Um, but we see those things. And then the second thing last week we talked about provision. That God uses His people and their resources to prepare for the end that He has planned. That we looked at He could build the temple from pennies of a widow, the widow's might we reference, all the way up to the wealth of kings. Remember King David. It wasn't him that was even going to get to build the temple, but he funded it. And he did it in such an extravagant way that we read through how much gold and silver and all the the things he provided, and that it was typical to kill a prized bull to sacrifice it on, on such a uh, momentous occasion, but he would decide to sacrifice a thousand bulls. And, and imagining that his advisors were thinking he's crazy. I mean, five, ten, that's extravagant, but man, a thousand, that's crazy talk, King David. And the widow's might that amazed Jesus because she gave all she had, two small coins. So God, he... His provision, he uses his people and their resources to prepare for the end. And then the third point was just period. That literally, like when you write a sentence and you put the period in, that ends, that brings a finish to what you say. God is the one who puts the period on everything that began. So uh, on our, our earthly lives here, our temporary lives, he puts the period at the end of our sentence, at the end of our life. And here's the thing about God's endings. They never come without a finish. See, I've started many things and I've ended many things. And some of them, they never got finished. My house that we finished two years ago, well, it's not really finished. It ended, the building did. But I still have a well house that has no siding on it. So it's Tyvek, two years later. Lazy, I don't know, or maybe just busy. But it's not finished. But everything God starts, he finishes. We look at it even when he created uh, created the earth, created us, everything. On the seventh day, he rested. He put the end on it, but he also finished it. And then the fourth thing was, or the the yeah, the fourth thing was people. That everything in the story of the kingdom of God has to do with people. That he created us for a special relationship. That even the angels are are curious about our relationship with God because they don't have the same relationship. I know many times people think that when we when we die, they'll say, "Oh, they're an angel down in heaven." No, you wouldn't want to wish that on your relative. You wouldn't want to wish them to be an angel. I mean, angels, oh, they're pretty. and they're that, But they don't have the same relationship that we can have with God. We're special. We're, we're created special. So there's no way I want to be an angel. I want to stay a people. And his plan always has to do with people. Uh, we see the shepherd uh, and, and the parables Jesus told, the shepherd that leaves the 99 to go after the one, um, that the woman that lost the coin, the prodigal son, all points to that everything is about the people in his perfect plan, or his perfect purpose. Number uh, five, the final one, is the place. There's always a physical place. Uh, here's the thing, it starts out, you know, there's a Garden of Eden, a physical place. Noah had an ark, the physical place to, to rescue him and his family from the flood. 
We see this. Uh, Israelites returning to Israel. Every time there's a place, a new heaven, a new earth. So we, we see that there's a place. Now, so today we want to, in our, in our time today, really focus on that first one, the plan, that God never starts something that he doesn't have the end in mind. See, we have to start thinking about how short time really is compared to the forever of eternity. I had an interesting conversation with my sister, uh, oldest sister who's visiting from Nebraska last night, and I won't go into the details yet because that's later in the message, but I'll tell you, I've been having these conversations with people lately that, that I don't want to sound like I, uh, it's uh, bragging because I'm still figuring out for myself, but somewhere along my journey as pastor here, I've connected with a desire and a, uh, a reality that heaven is so real and a place that you should want to go so bad that and, and knowing that God's promises, he holds the de- keys to death, hell, and the grave. I know this sounds weird to say, and it's not that I'm not going to be compassionate to you if you lose a loved one, but for me, if God allows me to go home with my life in control of that, while people will tell me, but your wife needs her husband, your boys, you don't understand what that does, grow up with father, out with father. I understand, but if God is in it and God allows me to go, then they're better off with me gone. That, that God's plan is so perfect, his purpose is so perfect, that if I go early, then it's perfect. And I've come to this place where I'm okay with that. I, I'm, I would be excited to go home. But, but Pastor CJ, what if you lost one of your children? Listen, I'm not heartless. But my kids are serving the Lord. And I, if I can't believe it for them, I can't believe it for myself. So we titled this message today, Terminal. And just like you go to an airport terminal, you're going there with a destination in mind. You have a starting point, that terminal, that gate, you're going to another one. But also, in a play on that word, we are all terminal. We're all terminally ill. Wait a minute, I'm healthy, Pastor CJ. Well, now, keep in mind, your body is on a crash course to turning to dust. We are all terminal. So... So when we, we think about this, we have to realize that whether you're healthy or not, our bodies are on this continuation towards degrading, which makes us terminal. And we, we can know that we base our decisions, what we base our decisions on now. When you make a life decision today, next week, I'm going to leave my spouse, spouse. I'm tired of this. I'm, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to do this. When we make these life decisions without God involved, we are in a danger because we are determining that journey that we're making by those decisions. It determines what gate we're leaving from and where we're arriving. It determines where we're leaving from and where we arrive. So in these moments together, we're going to talk about something nobody really wants to talk about. And that's to say that there's a certain death for all of us. A physical one. Unless Jesus comes back before And you hear the saying that there's two things in life that are certain, death and taxes. And when you look at it that way, you're all of a sudden thankful for taxes. But everybody in this room has a beginning. Everybody in this room has an ending. It doesn't matter whether you know me or not. It's your first day or you've been here for a long time. This is not my opinion. This is truth. We all have a beginning. We all have an end. And on that tombstone, when someone passes, there is always that birth date and there is that death date. But there is a little mark in between. And we often don't pay attention to that mark. We look at that birth date and that death date. But the most important thing on that tombstone is that dash because of what it represents. Leonard Ravenhill was one of the greatest preachers, authors, revivalists of the century. And he was heard saying this, 
The most significant marking on any tombstone are not the dates, but the dash between the dates. When you were born, when you died, or how long you actually lived is less important than how much life was actually in your living. The only thing that will actually matter after you're gone is how you spent that dash. It actually determines where you spend eternity. That dash is what determines what happens after that end date. That there is an afterlife. There is either an eternal life or eternal death, but, but after that date, and so that dash determines that. Who, what you do with that dash determines what kind of legacy you'll leave behind. The quote on Raven Hill's tombstone is really interesting. What, what was put on his tombstone, the epitaph, it says, are the things you are living for worth Christ dying for? Are the things that you're living for worth Christ dying for? In other words, are you investing your dash in eternal things or are you, uh, are you investing in temporal things? In other words, are you living like you're going to be here forever or are you living like you're leaving? The psalmist in Psalms 90.12 says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. In other words, what it's saying is, teach us how we should spend our days living wisely. Teach us how to spend our dash so that we may become wise. If anybody has ever maximized their life investing in the dash, it was Jesus. Think about it. I, I know he's God's son. I know uh, he's not one of us in that sense that we are not deity but but keep in mind he had an earthly life and jesus invested in his dash like he was leaving and 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 the thing that's so interesting is he only lived 33 and a half years i'm 43 years old and i'm not doing that faking because i actually couldn't remember in first service and i couldn't remember now either um but here we are two thousand years later still talking about him people still talk about buddha but but you don't see the lives being changed by buddha like it's being changed by the power of the name of jesus also the controversy you can say buddha about anywhere a group of atheists it don't matter everybody that's cool with me you say jesus and that's a whole nother story you see hundreds of millions of people around the globe call him their lord and savior and they have calibrated their entire lives around the words they spoke They've positioned everything they do in their lives around the words he spoke. Are there half-hearted Christians? Sure. Are there people who are not really living it? Sure. But there are people who will go to their death over the words of Jesus. Why? Well, there's a lot of answers to that question, but here's one that gets overlooked a lot. He was so revolutionary because he lived like he was leaving. Most everyone else always lives like they're staying, but Jesus lived like he was leaving. He didn't come to stay, he came to leave. He calibrated his life around eternity and he framed his perspective as if he was not going to be here forever, so he lived to leave. And, and he knew his life was focused on the importance of the dash because he was appointing us to do the same. See, here's an interesting thing about Jesus' tombstone if he had one. It'd have a birth date, It'd have a dash. It'd have a death date. And then there'd be another dash that just kept going. Because Jesus' life went on after. And his life was to teach us to live like we're leaving. He knew this and he lived with every conversation mattered. 
Every person mattered. Every day, every single moment of significance. Jesus lived his life like someone who is on their deathbed who has time to think about all their regrets and try to right their wrongs and finally get the right perspective on life. Jesus lived it beginning to end like he was leaving. He didn't waste his time because he knew there wasn't much to waste. And he lived passionately. He loved completely. And he left boldly. He began with the end in mind. So what would happen if all of us made that kind of shift? What would happen if we all started living with the same kind of direction, the same kind of intentionality? That What would happen if we started living like we're leaving? What if we began with the end in mind? For, for the, benefit of the benefit of those who weren't here last week, I gave an illustration of my own life about what it's like uh, when you don't really have the end in mind. What it's like to kind of be directionlessness. I made up some words in first service. I'm continuing that. I can't be alone in this. I'm sure my example, some of you, especially some of you men, will, will identify with. But it's one of the most frustrating things to me in life as a parent and father, husband. When I'm driving and it's time to eat, and there's five of us, including me and the family, that are in the car, and no one in the car can decide where or what they want to eat. And I'm driving aimlessly down the road, not knowing a determined destination. Passing tons of really good restaurants, and because of the indecisiveness in the car, everybody says, well, you're driving, you just pick. That's the death wish. Because never, ever have I been the one driving and actually chosen a restaurant that I didn't all of a sudden begin to hear the murmur in the back once I pick of, Oh, I don't want that. The moment I pull into a restaurant or decide, they begin to murmur, we don't want that. And I'm like, I thought you didn't care. You wanted me to pick. I thought it didn't matter. I thought you told me to decide. And this is probably uh, something that's created more tension in our family than anything else. <laughs> These kind of moments. And I've come to terms with there is indecisiveness when you're a parent and you have children. And some directionlessness, if that's a word. And it so frustrated me in these moments that I've threatened to just drive home. Or if you're on a trip, well, I'm just going to go to the next town. You'll have to decide by then. Everybody's hungry. I don't care. We're going next time. Or we're not going to eat all together. That's fine. And I'd like to tell you that this is an old illustration that I've matured and the family's matured and we got past this as a family. But no, as early as last week, this is a constant thing. And last week I told the story, for those of you who missed it, about recently we had the dog and my old, you guys know when I call my cowboy Cadillac, it's a big extended cab diesel truck I have that's old and multiple colors and flatbed and definitely looks like a cattle truck. And So we take it once in a while and that's the only thing the dog can be in, the only vehicle. And so we're out for the day taking the dog to the vet and we're going to go through Sonic and there's a storm getting ready to roll in. See it on the radar. It looks like it's going to be nasty. And I tell him, I said, this is Sonic. We eat here a lot. You all know the menu. Probably have it memorized. Besides, you'll stare at that thing for 15 minutes and still order the same thing. So I need to know now what you want before we get up to the window because I'm not going to sit there with people behind us. And so we waited, got up there, and what they thought they wanted started changing. And the frustration level went up, and the guy in the intercom was mumbling, and I was talking to them, and I said, just hold on a minute. He's like, I'll take your order now, and hold on. Finally, I drove off, so we're going to go to a stall. Well, that big truck, I couldn't get in a stall. And then people are like backing up and about to honk. And so I'm, we're pulling around one more time to the drive-thru. 
And you better not change your mind. I'm telling you, you will not want to see what happens with dad if you change your mind. You're going to tell me and you're going to stick to it and you're going to eat it and like it and smile and that's it. So we pull around. Now there's five cars in line, so we're waiting longer. And about the time I get up there and I have to roll down the window because people are behind us, people are in front of us, there's people aside of us, and down comes the downpour. I mean torrential. And Jen's windows are closed, everybody else is closed, but yet it's raining so hard, it's raining on her side of the car, our truck, besides mine. I'm soaked, I'm cold, I'm frustrated. I'm like, why can't you just decide? And I refuse sometimes to even drive until someone decides because we have a phone, a smartphone that will pull up the, the latest hundred places within five miles, but yet nobody can decide. And so I get to the point, and then you hear someone say, this is dumb, we're just sitting here. Yeah, that's right, I'm not moving until you decide. And I think what's dumb is driving down the road not knowing where you're going. That's dumb. So last week I gave the example for those who missed it, but here's a little add-on. I thought, let me give you a little more detail and just give you a little excerpt. This is how the conversation really goes. So everybody knows I have Caleb and Colton, twin sons, and Lily. Here's Caleb, Taco Bell, Lily, McDonald's, Colton, I'm not hungry. And then Jen goes, um, I don't know, maybe Thai sushi, Vietnamese, Greek. And then Caleb hears mom say that, and he gets scared. He says, okay, McDonald's, and to agree with Lily. And then Colton says, oh, I do want to eat Taco Bell. So now he's back to Caleb's first choice. And then Lily says, sushi, sushi, sushi. And then Caleb says, I'll just do whatever everybody else wants to do, you know, a little servant's heart. And then here comes me. Caleb, that's a problem. No one will decide, son. you got to stand up for what you believe in this life. And here goes the, the next 15 minutes mantra about being a man and making decisions. And you'll end up in jail and homeless and destitute and all that because you can't make up your mind. And so we have this big hairy thing and everybody's forgetting that they're hungry because they're just listening to dad rant. And then... I finally say, you, I, you guys told me to pick. You didn't like it, so you pick. And then I pull out the secret weapon. I have these moments where they can't decide, and they're still going back and forth, and so I just say, I want to go to pizza buffet. Oh, oh, no, I want this. And Jen's like, no, no, no buffet. And they're still going, and so then I say Chinese buffet, which is a little bit worse down the road on the buffet. And then... If that doesn't work, the ultimate secret weapon is all I have to do is say the words Golden Corral. Because Jen would rather go to the local, um, she'd rather go to a local park and eat the grass off the ground than go to Golden Corral. And Jen all of a sudden agrees with the two selections for Taco Bell and we go to Taco Bell. That's about how it goes. So now you know. But nothing frustrates me more than not knowing where I'm supposed to be going. It was, it was, you know, it's funny to talk about restaurants, but listen, this carries over in other areas of life. Like when I was seven and a half years at Walmart corporate office, and it seemed like I could do no wrong, but I'm still miserable because I'm moving up the ladder and we're making more money than I had ever made. But yet, I felt like I know I'm called to ministry. What am I doing here, God? Why do you have me here? When will I go in ministry? How will I get there? Just felt like no direction. Here, directionless people are often miserable, and they make the people around them miserable because they're miserable it's those people that have had 15 jobs in six months and every time you ask about what happened it was always the boss and you're like in six months 15 jobs i'm telling you it wasn't always the boss there's something else going on there and and, and a lot of times it's because there's no direction their life goals their their life plans if they even have one changes every six months and and this ability to stick to something is out the window and listen, I know I'm 43 now, and so I get to talk like I'm getting older. When you're younger, you have to hear the uphill both ways to school thing, and 
roll your eyes. But there is a truth. I'm going to speak to the younger folks especially, younger than me. There is a truth that is messing you up, and it's this. We are losing the ability as a culture to commit and stick to something that matters. A job more than two years, that's amazing. Used to, 30 years was amazing. Spouses, five years, wow, had a good run. We're miserable because we don't have direction. You know what? Here's the thing. It's usually due to a lack of direction and a lack of vision. I know we preach recently on vision. I want to turn the tables towards vision because God has designed a purpose for us, but it requires us to have a vision. All the greatest creations man has ever done, whether for God or otherwise, electricity, all the things that have been created have been from a vision. And here's the thing. I don't know if this is uh, maybe better now with my kids, but when they're younger, I couldn't decide when they were most unhappy, when they were just bored or they had two big decisions they couldn't decide on. You know, Chuck E. Cheese or the Retro Arcade. And it was just like they were in a bad mood because they couldn't decide. And you know what? That carries on into adulthood because boredom and indecisiveness result from a lack of direction and a lack of vision. If you're bored often, if you're indecisive often, it may be because you have a lack of vision in your life. What are you going to do with the remainder of your life? You know, you may not have forever. What are you doing with today and tomorrow and the next day? Oh, i got plenty of time to figure that out. Well, no, maybe you don't. Because I preached a funeral of a 44-year-old, well, 45-year-old man yesterday with twin boys that are 13, and he had been a race car driver. He had done a lot of things, and he had a great life. He accepted the Lord two months before he passed, but he was looking back with a lot of regret. We spent most of our time in discipleship helping him try to forget his past like God had because of the regret. And it's not him, just him. We're all that way. I want you to think about this for a moment. And I mean really think about it. Be truthful with yourself. Think about how people die. Yes, some go quickly. Some, some it's just unexpected. But many of us end up lying in bed with plenty of time to think about our life while we're waiting to die. And, and that job we worked so hard to climb the ladder, well, guess what? After so much LOA, the job's gone. Oh, and those family members that you just kind of couldn't deal with them and their attitudes and everything, so you didn't worry about working through it. You just kind of shunned them or got rid of them. Now all of a sudden you're like, family's really important. How do I fix this? You see, you get this real fine clarity when, when you start getting a vision of how close the end is. You start getting a vision of what, what God's really made your life to be and, and the things you've uh, messed up that God tried to do. And so while we're laying there, we, we, these questions come to our mind. and my, We might fight them, but everyone goes through this. When you're close to the end, you cannot keep from these questions milling over in your head. And here they are. What did my life add up to? Did it really matter? What did I live for? Who will remember me? What will they say about me when I'm gone? Many people are like, what are they going to say at my funeral? Are they going to have to lie to just be respectful? Why was it important that I even existed? The question is, really, will I lie there full of regret? Some regret, regret no regret? Nothing but regret. I don't know about you, but I don't want to lie there at that time, whether I go quickly or whether I have plenty of time, and I don't want to lie there with regrets. You need to think about this. The decisions you're making today are actually making the bed you'll lie in while you wait to die. 
The decisions you make today, and I'm not just talking about whether you're killing your body with drugs and so you're making the bed you're going to lie in. I'm not just talking about whether it's drinking or all those outward things that we see. I'm talking about the decision you make in relationships, in jobs, all these things. When you make these decisions without having God's direction in your life, without having a vision from Him for the rest of your life, then you're making a bed you'll lie in. And I've got to ask you, how comfortable do you think that bed will be? Today matters. Every moment matters. You say, Pastor, why would you say this? Isn't church supposed to be edifying and encouraging? Yes, and sometimes it's supposed to be convicting and compelling to make a change in your life. Uh, something that, that will be huge that you need God to help you make the change you can't do on your own. And we try really hard to ignore the reality of this brevity of our lives that, that we run away from conversations like these. And, and we, we do so because we're either young, we think we're young, and we think we have so much time on our hands. The reality is we expire. We all have an expiration date. I just can't seem to find mine on my bottle. You know? But I know that I'm expiring. And it's one of the most relevant conversations, pertinent conversations any of us are ever going to have. We're all terminal and there's no way around it. And I want us to learn as if we're leaving. There's something I debated on sharing. I finally shared in first service. And it weighed pretty heavy on Jen and I. Some of you have already had the conversation. Originally, I wasn't going to ever tell anybody. But about the time that uh, I was getting blood tests done for life insurance for the debt we were going into, so if something happened to me, the church would be taken care of, I also had a yearly appointment with the VA. And I get a call sometimes from a nurse. Rarely I get calls from them. Usually I have to call and follow up. I got call, uh, you know, you usually get a call from a nurse, but this time I get a call from my doctor. And she says, something's wrong in your blood test. So we need you to come in for an ultrasound. And I said, okay, can you tell me what is a press? She said, well, we don't know, and I'm not trying to scare you, but the kind of things we're seeing usually are only one of two things. So it could be the fatty liver, but often it's cancer. And so we need you to come in for an ultrasound. So a little time passed. They got in for ultrasound, and when they called the results of that, they said, they said, it's probably pretty sure we see lesions all over your spleen, your liver, and um, your pancreas, and they're all enlarged. Now keep in mind, I've been staying off and on at the hospital with a man just a year older than me who had the cancer start in the same place and everything. So I'm not usually quick to jump to conclusions, but here's the thing. Our first pastor died at 44, and I'm thinking I'll be 44 by the time we finish this building, and I'm starting to see a trend here. And then I'm staying with this guy, and he starts saying he has pains here and there, and I'm like, I have these pains. And so we're going, and so Jen and I come to the realization that my time might be short. And just in a moment, it's like the Holy Spirit just said, you know, I'll take care of your business. You take care of the Lord's business. And I made Jen promise not to tell anybody. And I said, we're going to carry on. We're going to build this church. And when I get to where I can't do it anymore, God will send the next guy. And so I hated to put that on my wife, but for a few months, that's what we were carrying. And it's really hard if people get a little nasty with you, whether it's at church or otherwise, or you know things happen or whatever, because you're dealing with this weight. But you know, God used to teach a lesson. There's a beautiful thing about putting yourself so much in God's hands that you just don't have time to worry about it. Jen had to start getting on me. Said you need to be resting because what if you do? And I'm doing 12 and 16 hour days and just run and run and run. And I said there's not time because I don't know how much time I have. God's got a plan for this church. And I saw what happened when the first pastor went. We went through three years of losing people in the church because they couldn't stay because it was too heartbreaking and the finances were horrible and the doors almost closed. 
it was amazing. It beat every statistic for this church to survive losing a pastor as a church plant. I'm like, we can't do that. It'll take focus away from what God has purposed this church. What his plan is for this church is for us to build this new campus, to move to the promised land we've been facing for over six years in this building. We need to go and go now, and I can't let this get in the way. So when I have been telling you that God has connected me with a real and vivid hope for heaven, and I'm okay, and I know he'll take care of it, I'm in it because I believed it was on its way. Sure, we prayed, and I confided in one mentor, and he agreed with me. He said, you can't tell anybody right now. He said, you need to push forward, and God will provide you the help when you need it. And so we had devised this plan, and and we're totally shocked when they approved my my, uh, life insurance. I was like, the church is going to be okay financially. That will be enough to pay for the building. They can hire somebody to finish it. If I can't, we're good. And on the way to sign the closing papers for the church loan, the phone rings, and this Christian nurse who had been one who had prayed with me to walk this journey, she's shaking on the phone. She says, you don't have cancer. You don't have cancer. She goes, you're just fat. <laughs> and it was casting shadows that made it look like lesions. You're, you're in, your organs are enlarged a little bit, and that's probably because you have a fatty liver. You need to lose weight, but you're okay. And I got to go and meet with her again on, on another thing, and, and she just told me how hard it was to keep her faith quiet because it was against the rules. And, and I was just talking loud in the office. I don't care about the rules. They can't fire me from this place. And we were talking about the Lord and praising God. And, and so I'm going to tell you that God will help you. When you can't handle what you think is the greatest thing you'll ever face in your life, He will carry you through. I want us to learn to live life as if we're leaving. And first and foremost, because I want us to be ready to leave. I want us to be prepared to step into eternity. I want you to be ready to meet God. And that can only happen through a real relationship with Jesus Christ. But another reason I want us to have this conversation is because once your relationship with Jesus is settled and you're on your way to eternity with Him, then you need to learn how to maximize what time He's given you left here. The tragedy is when most of us are asked a question Um, what is your vision for life? What is your life plan? What is your life goal? When we're asked this, here's kind of typical answers that come up. I want to be rich. I want to be famous. I want to eat whatever I want to eat and not get fat. I want to be able to get that job or that promotion. I want to be able to be at this status. I want to have this kind of career. I want to have this or that. And those are not really good big life goals or life plans. They're not even good substitutes for the real thing. They are just quick responses to questions that we are ashamed we don't have answers for. Listen, everyone ends up somewhere. But few people end up somewhere on purpose. And the good news is that everyone ends up somewhere on purpose when God is in control. Because His perfect plan has a purpose. The Bible makes it clear that we are designed from the start to live with a unique God-designed purpose. That the scripture tells us in Isaiah 46.10, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will go, I will do all that I please. So God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to say, before I start something, I am certain of its outcome. That I never start something without reason. That when I create something, I have a purpose for it that fits my overall plan. And you were created before you were formed. Here's the thing. Many of us put so much importance on our earthly family. And and we should give respect to our mothers and fathers. But that's not your beginning. Scripture says you were created 
before you were formed in your mother's womb. You were designed. Psalms 139.13-16 says, For you were created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God created you. He designed you. There's some special place in heaven where he was designing you before you were even knit in your mother's womb. So when you gain clarity for your purpose, your God-given purpose, a vision for what he has for your life, a heavenly vision for your life through prayer and the scripture and godly people being allowed to speak into your life, um, this vision that was created in you is much like what Jesus had. If Jesus had a t-shirt with a vision statement, this is what it would say. Luke 19.10 For the Son of Man came to seek and save what is lost. That vision brought clarity and purpose to Jesus' life. And seeing your life the way God sees your life will bring a clear vision for your life. And I want to, in closing, I want to give you, this is a different message, I'm giving you the four points to the sermon in the closing. So here you go. Here's four things you will gain by finding God's clear vision for your life. Four things you'll gain through that clear vision. One is focus. You will know exactly what you're here to do. And even more important than that is you'll know what you're here not to do. And I say that not because I'm talking about just the sins. I'm talking about when you are about to pass up something great for what's just good. It's like when I was at Walmart I remember at one point they came to me and said, we're getting ready to do layoffs and you found some favor with the bosses and we're going to give you two months head start to find something because you're going to lose your job. A lot of people are. And they said, if you tell anybody, we'll fire you because we're not supposed to do this, but you get two months head start. And I prayed about it. And within a couple weeks, I had two opportunities. One was to go back and be a manager on a team that I started as hourly. The only thing was, it was actually a demotion from where I was at. More people responsibility, more responsibility for sure. Yet they had messed up in the way they had created the job and it was a demotion. The other one was a really good promotion and it was a newly created job in sustainability, which was a big thing at the time. I'd been involved in it at Walmart and, and I had a really good shot. It looked like I probably could get it and it was a senior manager over taking a band one. For those of you at Walmart, you kind of get the difference there. You know, it was a big difference. Money-wise, everything pray about and God told me to take the one in asset protection I was like it's not really the best decision for my family God I mean look at this other opportunity but but I really felt like I should well later on they end up revamping that and I got 34% a year increase on one two I was able to witness to people in that that place in fact first service Sandy Haynes that's sitting here was on my team and we saw her miraculously heal from cancer so, so the things that I would have missed out on if I had gone for what seemed good and missed out on what was great because sometimes the voices that come into our lives while well-intentioned, people will try to pull you away from what God has for you great for just what's good. You know, I've heard pastors talk about them getting calls from someone and say, we'd like you to come be a pastor of this bigger church. But God's called them that smaller church and he's not allowed them to go. And, and that pastor, if he's listening to God, says, you know what? I know what God has for me. I'm going to stay here. And God will prove himself every time, but sometimes we let other voices. So focus, it gives you focus. Number two, endurance. 
When you have a clear vision, you can weather the storms of life with purpose. If you are told you have cancer and you have a short time to live, you can weather that storm with endurance because you know God has a purpose and a plan and you rest safely in that. And you know that everything He does is for the good of you and everyone else that He loves. And so you're going to put yourself in His hands and you're going to truck forward enduring through those storms. And that leads me to the third one, which is peace, because also He'll give you peace when you have a clear vision of the life He wants for you. And fourthly, we had focus, endurance, peace, and passion. You show me a person who has no motivation in life, and I'll show you a person with no passion for life. Dwight Moody, he was later known to be one of the greatest evangelists of the world, but he started out as a shoe salesman. And he kind of had an unorthodox, he was going to church, and he wanted to help with getting Sunday school, young men to come to Sunday school. And he decided back then a dollar was a lot of money and he was going to pay a dollar for every young boy that would come to Sunday school. And some of us like, you can't pay people to come hear the gospel. You can't buy people in the kingdom. Well, his intention wasn't to buy them in the kingdom. It was just to get them there so they'd hear the word of God. So he was giving them a dollar. And the Sunday school grew so big that outgrew the church. And next thing you know, he had a thousand young men coming to Sunday school. He ended up quitting being a shoe salesman and became one of the best evangelists the world's known. So you see, he was obsessed with the vision God had for his life. And he carried it out passionately. He had peace, he had endurance, and he had focus. There's one thing for sure, is that God has to be the one to give you all those things. You can't produce them on your own. Jen and I have been praying about this campaign, this capital campaign, and you know, we felt like, okay, the $2,500, that's going to stretch us. And I felt like the Lord wasn't done with me. And this week I made a big decision. I um, en- ended my time in the Bond Slaves Motorcycle Club, the Christian Motorcycle Club. felt like the Lord was leading that. And, and uh, I didn't realize God what God was setting me up for, but finally got peace about it. The motorcycle I've had, some of you know it's as much of my identity, I guess, what people think. They used to call me the roughneck pastor in town because I used to ride my Harley to church all the time. But I've had that bike for 19 years. A lot of memories. And uh, I've committed to the Lord to sell it for the building project. And I got to tell you that the minute it leaves my driveway for good, I can't say I won't be curled up in a ball crying and gnashing of teeth. (laughs) But I know that God's got great things for us. And we can stay in a safe building where we can afford the payments all day long, but we just can't minister to more people and we can take the easy road. You could also say $2,500, well, that's more than I spend on myself in a couple years. I can't do that. Well, that's why this got between you and God. We gave another spot for you to let God speak to you. It may be less or more. I'm not going to get into the whole TV evangelism thing. I'm just going to tell you that I don't even know. I don't even want to know. I mean, we are going to have an opportunity for people to tell their stories when God does provide and give thanks for that. But um, if you've already done this, don't feel bad about it. But don't tell me, hey, pastor, I think I'm going to do this and that's what I think I do, and give me the explanation because it's not between me and you, it's between you and God. I mean, I, I'm happy for you when you stretch yourself, but listen, God will not come through on something you do on your own. He has no obligation to pay for a commitment you make that he didn't tell you to make. But he has every obligation, and I'm not saying that in a disrespectful way God, but he has every obligation to pay for what he orders. And if he gives you an order to do something for this new building, 
Listen, remember when I said that in our generations coming up, we're losing the ability to, to see something through? People used to get excited if they could just be the one to donate the money for you know, chairs at the hospital and get their names on the chairs. And, and, and it's kind of started a trend where now they know that giving to churches, churches alone, is on the de- decline over the last 10 years while giving to hospitals and colleges has been up. And why is that? Well, there's several reasons, but there is one, I believe, is because it's one thing to give to some organization where they're going to just take it and you're, you're going to let them do something with it. It's another thing to be part of a body of Christ where you have to trust that God's going to lead that person and you're in the heat of it. And you're seeing what you're trying to give to God, but it's your money and you're seeing how that's going. And like, God, what are you doing? Pastor gets up and says, oh, no, we found out we're going to have to move more dirt. It's going to cost more. Oh, well, man, I just want to give up. So I'm not telling you about selling my motorcycle to brag. It's not that because it's not something I really want to brag about. <laughs> I'm hoping somebody will buy it. But I know this, at one time it became an idol in my life. And I conquered that. And it's always been a treasure. But it's been sitting two years as a garage ornament. So I wonder why. I've never let that thing sit more than about 30 days broke down. Why have I just let that go? And I realized because God has pulled my focus. He's given me a focus on the vision he's given me to lead this church and to lead us to that promised land. A lot of people wanted that land, wanted us to sell it. And even the assembly's gone, when we didn't build for a while, they're like, hey, we have other churches. They've gifted that land to us. They said, could we sell it and use it to build another church? So it's been something just to hang on to it. So I'm telling you, God's got us on a journey, and this is what you've got to decide. If God's called you here to New Song, if you know that, this is your home. If you're visiting or if this is not your home, you can ignore what I'm telling you because this is for those God has called you here as part of the, the family that, that is going to be here. You have to determine, has he given me a vision for what's going on here? I know that God's supposed to give me the overall vision, but has he given me a vision about what you're here for? Where's your life going? What, what's going to happen in the end? What that time you have to think about on your deathbed, what is it? It's not just about a building project. This is a side note. I'm talking about just your life in general. Have you gone to God and said, I need a vision for how I'm going to spend the rest of my days? What do you want of me, God? So I want to spend just a moment in prayer, and I'm going to have, if I can have Ken or, well, Ken's going to go up there. Devin, do you mind handing one of these out? To Even if you got one last week, you can just leave it in the chair. But just in case someone got one last week and you want to re- redo it or whatever, God spoke to you since then. But um, but I want us to take a few moments. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about prayer and fasting, asking God to speak to you, that he'll prepare your heart, and you'll know what commitment that he's asked you to make. And so I just want to take a few moments, and if you've spent that time in prayer, I don't want you to make any rash decisions. If you haven't prayed about it, I want you to take that with you and only submit it after you pray and you know what God's told you to do.